Sketches by Boz, Section Forty Three. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Brad Philippone. Sketches by Boz by Charles Dickens, Section Forty Three. Characters, Chapter Eleven. Making a Night of It. Damon and Pythias were undoubtedly very good fellows in their way the former for his extreme readiness to put in special bail for a friend, and the latter for a certain trump-like punctuality in turning up just in the very nick of time scarcely less remarkable. Many points in their character have, however, grown obsolete. Damons are rather hard to find in these days of imprisonment for debt, except the sham ones, and they cost half a crown, and as to the Pythiases, the few that have existed in these degenerate times have had an unfortunate knack of making themselves scarce at the very moment when their appearance would have been strictly classical. If the actions of these heroes, however, can find no parallel in modern times, their friendship can. We have a Damon and Pythias on the one hand. We have Potter and Smithers on the other. And lest the two last-mentioned names should never have reached the ears of our unenlightened readers, we can do no better than make them acquainted with the owners thereof. Mr. Thomas Potter, then, was a clerk in the city, and Mr. Robert Smithers was a ditto in the same. Their incomes were limited, but their friendship was unbounded. They lived in the same street, walked into town every morning at the same hour, dined at the same slap-bang every day, and revelled in each other's company very night. They were knit together by the closest ties of intimacy and friendship, or, as Mr. Thomas Potter touchingly observed, they were thick and thin pals and nothing but it. There was a spice of romance in Mr. Smithers' disposition, a ray of poetry, a gleam of misery, a sort of consciousness of he didn't exactly know what, coming across him he didn't precisely know why, which stood out in fine relief against the off-hand dashing amateur pickpocket sort of matter which distinguished Mr. Potter in an eminent degree. The peculiarity of their respective dispositions extended itself to their individual costume. Mr. Smithers generally appeared in public in a surtout and shoes, with a narrow black neckerchief and a brown hat very much turned up at the sides, peculiarities which Mr. Potter wholly eschewed, for it was his ambition to do something in the celebrated kitty or stage-coach way, and he had even gone so far as to invest capital in the purchase of a rough blue coat with wooden buttons made upon the fireman's principle, in which, with the addition of a low-crowned flower-pot-saucer-shaped hat, he had created no inconsiderable sensation at the Albion in Little Russell Street, and divers other places of public and fashionable resort. Mr. Potter and Mr. Smithers had mutually agreed that on the receipt of their quarter's salary they would jointly and in company spend the evening, an evident misnomer, the spending applying, as everybody knows, not to the evening itself, but to all the money the individual may chance to be possessed of, on the occasion to which reference is made, and they had likewise agreed that on the evening foresaid they would make a night of it an expressive term, implying the borrowing of several hours from to-morrow morning, adding them to the night before, and manufacturing a compound night of the whole. The quarter-day arrived at last. We say at last, because quarter-days are as eccentric as comets, moving wonderfully quick when you have a good deal to pay, and marvellously slow when you have a little to receive. 
Mr. Thomas Potter and Mr. Robert Smithers met by appointment to begin the evening with a dinner, and a nice, snug, comfortable dinner they had, consisting of a little procession of four chops and four kidneys, following each other, supported on either side by a pot of the real draught stout, and attended by divers cushions of bread and wedges of cheese. When the cloth was removed, Mr. Thomas Potter ordered the waiter to bring in two goes of his best Scotch whisky with warm water and sugar, and a couple of his very mildest Havanas, which the waiter did. Mr. Thomas Potter mixed his grog and lighted his cigar. Mr. Robert Smithers did the same, and then Mr. Thomas Potter jocularly proposed as the first toast the abolition of all offices whatever not sinecures but counting-houses which was immediately drunk by mr robert smithers with enthusiastic applause so they went on talking politics puffing cigars and sipping whisky and water until the goes most appropriately so called were both gone which mr robert smithers perceiving immediately ordered in two more goes of the best scotch whisky and two more of the very mildest havanas and the goes kept coming in and the mild havanas kept going out until what with the drinking and lighting and puffing and the stale ashes on the table and the tallow grease on the cigars mr robert smithers began to doubt the mildness of the havanas and to feel very much as if he had been sitting in a hackney coach with his back to the horses as to mr thomas potter he would keep laughing out loud and volunteering inarticulate declarations that he was all right in proof of which he feebly bespoke the evening paper after the next gentleman but finding it a matter of some difficulty to discover any news in its columns or to ascertain distinctly whether it had any columns at all walked slowly out to look for the moon and after coming back quite pale with looking up at the sky so long and attempting to express mirth at mr robert smithers having fallen asleep by various galvanic chuckles laid his head on his arm and went to sleep also when he awoke again mr robert smithers awoke too and they both very gravely agreed that it was extremely unwise to eat so many pickled walnuts with the chops as it was a notorious fact that they always made people queer and sleepy indeed if it had not been for the whisky and cigars there was no knowing what harm they mightn't have done em so they took some coffee and after paying the bill twelve and tuppence for the dinner and the odd tenpence for the waiter thirteen shillings and all started out on their expedition to manufacture a night it was just half-past eight so they thought they couldn't do better than to go at half price to the slips at the city theatre which they did accordingly mr robert smithers who had become extremely poetical after the settlement of the bill enlivened the walk by informing mr thomas potter in confidence that he felt an inward presentment of approaching dissolution and subsequently embellishing the theatre by falling asleep with his head and both arms gracefully drooping over the front of the boxes such was the quiet demeanour of the unassuming smithers and such were the happy effects of scotch whisky and havanas on that interesting person but mr thomas potter whose great aim it was to be considered as a knowing card a fast goer and so forth conducted himself in a very different manner and commenced going very fast indeed rather too fast at last for the patience of the audience to keep pace with him 
On his first entry, he contented himself by earnestly calling upon the gentleman in the gallery to flare up, accompanying the demand with another request, expressive of his wish that they would instantaneously form a union, both which requisitions were responded to in the manner most in vogue on such occasions. "'Give that dog a bone!' cried one gentleman in his shirt-sleeves. "'Where have you been a-having half a pint of intermediate beer?' cried a second. "'Taylor!' screamed a third. "'Barber's clerk!' shouted a fourth. "'Throw him over!' roared a fifth, while numerous voices concurred in desiring Mr. Thomas Potter to go home to his mother. All these taunts Mr. Thomas Potter received with supreme contempt, cocking the low-crowned hat a little more on one side whenever any reference was made to his personal appearance, and standing up with his arms akimbo expressing defiance melodramatically. The overture, to which these various sounds had been an ab libitum accompaniment, concluded, the second piece began, and Mr. Thomas Potter, emboldened by impunity, proceeded to behave in a most unprecedented and outrageous manner. First of all, he imitated the shake of the principal female singer, then groaned at the blue fire, then affected to be frightened into convulsions of terror at the appearance of the ghost, and lastly not only made a running commentary in an audible voice upon the dialogue on the stage, but actually awoke Mr. Robert Smithers, who, hearing his companion making a noise, and having a very indistinct notion where he was, or what was required of him, immediately, by way of imitating a good example, set up the most unearthly, unremitting, and appalling howling that ever audience heard. It was too much. "'Turn them out!' was the general cry. A noise as of shuffling of feet, and men being knocked up with violence against wainscoting, was heard. A hurried dialogue of, "'Come out! I won't! You shall! I shan't! Give me your card, sir! You're a scoundrel, sir!' and so forth succeeded. A round of applause betokened the approbation of the audience, and Mr. Robert Smithers and Mr. Thomas Potter found themselves shot with astonishing swiftness into the road, without having had the trouble of once putting foot on the ground during the whole progress of their rapid descent. Mr. Robert Smithers, being constitutionally one of the slow-goers, and having had quite enough of fast-going in the course of his recent expulsion, to last until the quarter-day then next ensuing at the very least, had no sooner emerged with his companion from the precincts of Milton Street than he proceeded to indulge in circuitous references to the beauties of sleep, mingled with distant allusions to the propriety of returning to Islington, and testing the influence of their patient Brahmas over the street-door lock to which they respectively belonged. Mr. Thomas Potter, however, was valorous and peremptory. They had come out to make a night of it, and a night must be made. So Mr. Robert Smithers, who was three parts dull and the other dismal, despairingly assented, and they went into a wine-vault to get materials for assisting them in making a night, where they found a good many young ladies and various old gentlemen, and a plentiful sprinkling of hackney-coachmen and cab-drivers, all drinking and talking together, and Mr. Thomas Potter and Mr. Robert Smithers drank small glasses of brandy and large glasses of soda, until they began to have a very confused idea, either of things in general or of anything in particular and when they had done treating themselves, they began to treat everybody else, 
and the rest of the entertainment was a confused mixture of heads and heels, black eyes and blue uniforms, mud and gaslights, thick doors, and stone paving. Then, as standard novelists expressively inform us, all was a blank, and in the morning the blank was filled up with the words Station House, and the Station House was filled up with Mr. Thomas Potter, Mr. Robert Smithers, and the major part of their wine-vault companions of the preceding night, with a comparatively small portion of clothing of any kind. And it was disclosed at the police office, to the indignation of the bench and the astonishment of the spectators, how one Robert Smithers, aided and abetted by one Thomas Potter, had knocked down and beaten in divers streets at different times five men, four boys, and three women, how the said Thomas Potter had feloniously obtained possession of five door-knockers, two bell-handles, and a bonnet, how Robert Smithers, his friend, had sworn at least forty pounds worth of oaths, at the rate of five shillings apiece, terrified whole streets full of Her Majesty's subjects with awful shrieks and alarms of fire, destroyed the uniforms of five policemen, and committed various other atrocities too numerous to recapitulate and the magistrate after an appropriate reprimand fined mr thomas potter and mr thomas smithers five shillings each for being what the law vulgarly terms drunk and thirty-four pounds for seventeen assaults at forty shillings a head with liberty to speak to the prosecutors the prosecutors were spoken to and Messrs. potter and smithers lived on credit for a quarter as best they might and although the prosecutors expressed their readiness to be assaulted twice a week on the same terms they have never since been detected in making a night of it end of section forty three